0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, the very end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 this morning, end of Exodus 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 as we uh, get the service started. So if you could come on in, take your seats. We're going going to give our attention to the reading and the hearing of God's word this morning.
1: Exodus 6, 28 through seven thirteen. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the way that you reveal your heart and your might to us. And I just ask that you would bless the preaching of your word today, um, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would um, help Dan in his delivery, and that you would use your, this piece of your word today to encourage and build us up. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you so much, Lindsay. Okay, well, one of my favorite stories, The Lord of the Rings... The unlikely hero is an unassuming hobbit, Frodo Baggins. He's tasked to destroy this ring of ultimate power. And he eventually, two-thirds of the way or so through the story, he finds himself on top of a cliff looking down into the land of Mordor. And this land is the home of the evil Lord Sauron. It's the home of all evil in Middle-earth. It is full of ash. It is full of enemies. It is the last place you would want to go. And yet that was the place that Frodo and his companion Sam had to go to complete their mission. So before they go down into this terrifying land, this scene captures them taking a few last bites from their dwindling food supply. And as they sit, they start to encourage each other by remembering these great stories from the past ages of Middle Earth. And then then they realize that they're a part of those stories. And they forget their weariness. They start to laugh about a future when people might tell the stories of Frodo and Sam. But then they return to their present. And Frodo says, you and I, Sam, are still stuck in the worst places of the story. It's all too likely that some will say at this point, shut the book now, duh. We don't want to read anymore. And that's where we find the people of Israel today in that passage from Exodus. They're stuck in the worst places of their story. I mean, do you remember how earlier in chapter six from Rick's sermon last week, it described them? They were, were brokenhearted because of their hard labor. They were beaten down. Their hope and their worship that they had displayed had turned to anger and to distrust, distrust of God and distrust of Moses. And I wonder if that resonates with you this morning. It does with me, I mean, when I read the news every morning, I see the news of, of typhoons and wildfires, shipwrecked and drowned refugees, murdered students in Uganda, in our own country. I, it seems like we're stuck in the worst places of this story. I do not know how to go on. It's hard, it's hard to see how to keep going. And closer to home, there are things in my life, and I'm sure there are things in your life too, that make you wanna shut the book and not continue with the story for right now? Maybe there's something in your life that has turned your hope and worship to anger and distrust. Does that feeling of being stuck in a dark place ring true for you? In the face of all this, how do we keep going as the road gets darker? How do we listen to God's voice when he feels untrustworthy? How do we persevere in the difficulty, in the darkness of our lives in this fallen world? Okay, well, let's follow the story in the passage and we're gonna hear God's answer to that question. How do we keep going? So at the end of chapter six, we pick up with a summary of Moses' commission from God. And if you look back down at verse twenty-eight, Exodus six, the Lord said to Moses, I'm the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised list. How will Pharaoh listen to me? But the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Those are strong words. In answer to Moses' question, how will Pharaoh listen to me? God's answer is that he will give Moses God-like status before Pharaoh. You see, God is setting up a direct confrontation between him between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Pharaoh, who believed that he was a God, or at least an incarnation of the gods here on earth. So after telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh, God has some other things to tell him. Let's keep reading back in verse four. Look at verse four. God told Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great act of judgment the egyptians shall know that i am the lord now moses must have been thinking you have got to be kidding me here you're telling me that this mission is going to fail you're telling me that no matter what i say to pharaoh he's going to ignore me how am i supposed to follow these instructions we need to pay attention to the viewpoint in this story it's it's like there's a movie camera here and it's shifting Up until this point in Exodus, the viewpoint of this movie camera has been on the people of Israel, on helping them learn to trust God's promises. But now, now the camera is shifting to the Egyptians, and God says that one of his purposes in saving Israel is going to be so that the Egyptians know that he is Yahweh, the powerful covenant-keeping God of Israel. God is going to use Pharaoh, his advisors, in the entire land of Egypt as an arena. Think of it like a sports stadium. He's going to use this as a stadium to display his power and his glory. So how do Moses and Aaron respond to God's command? I love what it says in verse six. Moses and Aaron did so they did just as the Lord commanded them. Verse 10 says the same thing. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as, as the Lord commanded them. This is significant for Moses. This is a huge transformation for this guy. He spent the last several chapters arguing with God, trying everything he could to get out of this job. But something has changed in him now. He's found the courage to obey God instead of arguing, instead of trying to get out of the job. So they go to Pharaoh, just like God told them. Pharaoh mocked them, demanded a sign to prove who they really were. They were ready for this though. God said Pharaoh would ask them for a sign and so they gave it. And can you imagine how they felt as Aaron threw this staff down? This, man, this was gonna be it, vindication. They're gonna show Pharaoh who's really in charge here. He was gonna learn his lesson now. That's not what happened. Instead, Pharaoh's magicians recreate the same sign. Verse 10, remember verse 10 says, the magicians of Egypt also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I mean, do you think Moses was tempted to give up on God right then? I mean, come on, you give us this great sign to do our enemies, just copy it? What is going on? You're not showing much power there, God. Here are Moses and Aaron staring at a floor full of snakes wondering what God is gonna do next. This God who promised that he would rescue his people, he sent them to Pharaoh to do this sign. What is he gonna do? And do you ever feel that way? I do. Do you ever feel like sometimes you just need to see a display of God's power, and instead the world comes at you with a power of its own? I wonder if this seems like a strange story to us, this this weird story here in the middle of Exodus. I mean, a lot of them do. Why? Why is it here? And what are we supposed to do with this whole turning staffs into snakes thing anyway? I think that commentator Peter Enns is helpful here. If you grabbed a a fill-in sheet, I've got the the quote in this, but listen to this comment uh, by Peter Enns. He writes, this sign, and the ten plagues display one by one Pharaoh's impotence, and Yahweh's unquestionable and unconquerable might. Perhaps the central point of this passage is that counterfeit power, although real power, is not lasting power. And neither the Israelites nor the Egyptians should be fooled by appearances. Listen to that again. The central point of this passage is that counterfeit power, although real power is not lasting power. And neither the Israelites nor the Egyptians, and not us either, should be fooled by appearances. What did Moses and Aaron need so that they could keep going and obey God when they were up against Pharaoh? And maybe more immediately, what do I, what do you need to keep going in our lives to persevere in the dark places of our story. This passage shows us what we need. We need to see God's power. We need to see the power of God, his unquestionable, unconquerable power. So let's, let's explore how this passage helps us see that power and how it relates to our lives. This, this wasn't the first plague this was the beginning of God's judgment on Egypt. I said that again. This was the beginning of God's judgment on Egypt. Aaron's staff, which represented the power of the God of the universe, eliminated the staffs of the dark magicians. And the message should have been obvious to Pharaoh and the magicians. This is like a warning shot across Pharaoh's bow. God's power was on clear display. Listen to my commands, obey my messengers, or you will be swallowed up and defeated by the one with the true power here. Later in the story, Pharaoh and his army will be literally swallowed up, drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. He didn't listen to the warning, and that's what happened. God will put his power on display from the opening round of this conflict to the triumphant finish for his people to see Now you may be asking, why a snake? This detail may sound random or unimportant, but it's actually the most important imagery, the most powerful imagery in this story. Do you know what snakes represented in Egypt? They were signs of the ruler's power. Snakes in Egypt were signs of the ruler's power. If you think of those pictures you've seen of King Tut's headdress or a Pharaoh's headdress, the Pharaoh's headpiece depicted a cobra ready to strike, ready to attack Pharaoh's enemies. God did not choose to turn Aaron's staff into a snake just to pick a random animal. That staff become a snake demonstrated that this conversation, this confrontation wasn't between Moses and and Pharaoh. It was between Yahweh and the evil powers who have rebelled against him in the cosmos. I don't don't think there was some trickery involved. There's there's some people who speculate that, oh, maybe those magicians just charmed some snakes into temporary paralysis. Um, I don't think that was the case. I think in this story, Pharaoh's magicians have called on real evil spiritual forces to help them fight against God's messengers. There in Pharaoh's palace, a cosmic power struggle was taking place. This cosmic power struggle started long, long before this story in the Garden of Eden when an evil being in the form of, do you remember, a snake tempted Adam and Eve to distrust God's promises, to disobey his commands. But even there in Genesis chapter three, amid the crumbling ruins of a once innocent humanity, God promised that one day a snake crusher A snake swallower would come from the human race to defeat the enemy, who wanted to destroy God's people. And those malevolent powers that seek to harm God's people—they're still active today. From actual demonic forces to just the everyday brokenness of our sinful world, we face opposition from the power of sin every day of our lives. So let me ask you, what what is opposing you right now? It's that thing you're thinking about while I've been talking. What looks like a floor full of snakes in your life? Is it physical suffering? Is it cancer? Is it chronic pain? Is it just getting older? Maybe you feel threatened by some particular sin that you just can't seem to shake. It seems so powerful, you don't know how you're gonna beat it. Maybe it's gonna beat you instead. Maybe it's a mental health challenge that you just know is gonna be with you for all of your life. And it doesn't matter if your particular situation is one of those or none of those. There's one thing that threatens every single one of us, young or old, woman or man. It's death. Death our old enemy hangs over every one of our heads. I was just talking about this with Jeff last weekend. It's like the sword of Damocles hanging over us, just waiting to strike. And we never know when that's gonna be. So what does God have to say about that? That floor of snakes near life. What does this passage from Exodus tell us about that? This strange sounding story from thousands of years ago. Well, this passage tells us God tells us that his power will inevitably overcome even the most powerful forces that oppose him and his people. Let me say that again. God's power will inevitably overcome, no question about it, even the most powerful forces that oppose him and his people. One part of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth echoes our passage this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As Paul reflects on Jesus' resurrection and the future resurrection coming for all of Jesus' followers, Paul starts making fun of death. He taunts it, he, he mocks it. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, death is swallowed up. I just love the imagery here. It's a direct connection right back through the book of Isaiah, all the way back to Exodus chapter seven. Death is swallowed up in victory. And here he starts making fun of death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? It's a rhetorical question, right? There is no victory for death. There is no sting. It's gone. Did you hear what he said? Death is swallowed up in victory. Now who wins a victory? It's the one with the most power, right? Death doesn't have the most power. In her book, Prayer in the Night, author Tish Harrison Warren writes, in the end, darkness is not explained. It's defeated. Night is not justified or solved. It is endured until light overcomes it, and it is no more guys hear that, defeated, overcome, no more. I want you to listen closely now. We need to see this and to hear this so that I and so that you can keep going in the dark places of our story. Think again about that thing that's threatening you. Think about that thing we talked about a moment ago. Sisters and brothers, that thing, that threat is no more than a magician's staff crawling around on the ground. It does have some power to be sure, but it will not have the final word in your life. Period. That thing that threatens you no matter what it is will not have the final word in your life or in mind, God's victory will, that is certain. So what will God's victory look like? Well, it's gonna look like this. Habitual sin, swallowed up. Cancer, swallowed up. Strained, fractured relationships, swallowed up. Mental health challenges swallowed up. Chronic sickness and pain swallowed up. The ravages of old age and death itself swallowed up in victory. Can you see the ultimate power of God here? Are you feeling that this morning? Is helping you find a way to take that next step forward in the darkness, in the hard time? I hope so. I hope you're getting this picture. Maybe you're asking, but where does this victory come from? How did God win this victory? This victory over death and all the effects of sin? Well, it comes from the display of God's ultimate power in a situation that looked a lot like the passage in Exodus today. God's victory came through the murder of an obscure Jewish rabbi on a Roman cross over 2,000 years ago. That day, that day, the Jewish authorities and the Roman governor thought they had gotten rid of a troublemaker. The demonic powers that we've talked about thought they had finally beaten their greatest enemy. As Andrew Peterson puts it in one of his songs, Now the demons, they danced in the darkness when that last ragged breath left his lungs. They reveled. They howled at the war they thought they had won. Just like in Pharaoh's palace, when it looked like Moses and Aaron were beaten as a whole bunch of staffs turned into snakes to replicate their miracle. But just like in our passage today, it seemed like defeat for God's plans. It was really the ultimate victory as the apostle paul puts it in colossians 2:15 he god disarmed the rulers he disarmed the authorities he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him that is in jesus god triumphed over the rulers and authorities in jesus friends this is the gospel this is the good news the human race has been attacked by Satan it has been we have been enticed into disobeying god's loving commands and now we live in a world broken by sin we ourselves are broken by our rebellion against god and we deserve his just judgment for turning against him but god holds out mercy to us in jesus if we turn to him in faith if we listen to the promise of salvation that he holds out to every one of us, if we trust in the power of his victory on the cross, we will be saved. Like Frodo and Sam, we're in the middle of the story right now, aren't we? If we look at our lives, we might wanna close the book for a bit. But we all need to take that next step. We have to perhaps a step down into a dark land. We need to keep going in our journey in life and faith. We're gonna walk out of here this morning. We're gonna go into the next day and the next day. How do we do that, Grace Church? How do we keep going? We keep going by seeing and experiencing God's power. So maybe you're asking, where can I see God's power? How can I see that today? It's in our passage It's in this story that God has given to us. It's throughout the history of the scripture. If you read from the first page to the last of the Bible, it is God's power on every page. It's in the history of the Christian church. And most importantly, it is at the cross of Christ that we see God's power clearly displayed. And I should add, I'm always making edits to my my manuscript even as I talk. It's not just in the cross, but it is in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that we see God's power displayed as he rescued Christ from the power of death and raised him to his side in victory. Let's make this really personal though and really practical. Because while God has shown his power in the past and he has promised that he will have the future victory He also shows his power today. He shows it right here. He shows it right now in our lives, in yours and in mine. I think there's another quote from Prayer in the Night that's helpful to me here. Warren writes, the believer's constant posture is to lean slightly forward in anticipation. Get the picture. Like you're waiting for something to happen, all right? Like, you know, you're at a Padres game and you're you're waiting on that payoff pitch, What's gonna happen, all right? That's the posture, get the picture? Our constant posture is to lean forward in anticipation. We wait for God to act, to set things right, to show up and work, whether that work is surprising and miraculous or a quiet change of tides. What's a way that I, what's a way that you can lean forward in anticipation? Well, here's one way. Here's one suggestion. Take, take what is hardest for you right now, that thing that, that we've, we've talked about. What is it? Have you, have you got it in your minds? Take that thing, that struggle, that area you feel defeated, and here's what I want to ask you. In light of God's word today, in light of what he has shown us, will you believe that his power is greater? that his power is greater than that struggle, that pain, that sickness, that conflict? Can you put a greater than sign in your heart today? You know, that mathematical symbol, this is greater than that. You see it on cars sometimes, he's greater than I. That greater than symbol, can can you put that in your heart today and leave here with fresh faith towards God that his greater than power will be there to help you today? If nothing else, if nothing else, we can remind ourselves and we can remind one another, sisters and brothers, it's important that we encourage one another with the power that our Lord Jesus claimed on the night before he went to the cross. He was talking to his disciples. It didn't get any darker than this. He was telling them that he was gonna go away. But what did he tell his disciples? In this world, you will have tribulation, trouble, It's gonna be hard. It's going to be dark. But take heart. Take heart, Grace Church. Take heart. I have overcome, Jesus says. I have overcome, if you want to use the language from our story today, swallowed up. Jesus has swallowed up the world. That world that's gonna give us so much trouble. So much heartache, Jesus has swallowed it up. Um, I want to invite Rick to come back up. Those who are serving the Lord's Supper to prepare our elements, Uh, as they do, let's pray. And as we pray, let's ask God to help us see and trust in the power that He has shown for you and for me. Father God, we are thankful for this story that you have given us from your word, this story that we know is true. We are thankful for the power you have displayed through the death and the resurrection of your son. And I ask now that you would help us to take this reminder of your power into our day, into our week, into our lives, and believe that your greater than power will swallow up anything that is threatening us this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.